Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Uh, Tomorrow is Labor Day. Can you believe it? Uh, we've got a, a kind of a turning point in our seasons that we're about to hit, the end of summer, the beginning of fall. And in our uh, book of Exodus, we also hit a turning point this morning. Since chapter 15, uh, when the Lord delivered the people of Israel through the Red Sea, they've been wandering through the wilderness, and now they've reached a destination. And we have a turning point, part two of the book of Exodus. And from here on out, the rest of the book of Exodus is the people of Israel camped around this mountain. Earlier in the book of Exodus, it's called Mount Horeb. From here on out, it's called Mount Sinai, two names for the same thing, just like 290s called the Eisenhower, same principle. And look how the narrator changes sections. He, he, he slows way down, gets incredibly redundant. He doesn't want us to miss what's happening. You see, the people of Israel did not probably know they were heading to Sinai. They were just going through the wilderness from one watering hole or rock, as it were, to another. And then they get to this mountain, and anyone listening to the story would know that the narrator is burying the lead. It's the very last word that everyone's waiting for. Imagine someone around a campfire with a flashlight under their chin telling this story on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land. So three months. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. Yes, yes, we know. Get on with it. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. Then Israel encamped before the mountain. Now we're here. We're to the mountain. And look what Moses does. Moses immediately goes up to God. He doesn't wait for the Lord to call to him. Can you imagine 80-year-old Moses, as soon as they're close enough to the mountain, he just starts going right up. Because he's remembered that he has an appointment with God. Do you remember what happened when Moses saw the bush burning on this same mountain but not consumed? He didn't want to, to go back to Egypt. He didn't want to deliver the people of Israel. He didn't think he could, and so he argued with the Lord. And what did the Lord say to him in Exodus 3, verse uh, 11 and 12? Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And Moses says, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you. This is my promise. This is the proof that I have sent you, this will be the sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so now Moses is there, and the sign is complete, and we can imagine him running into the presence of Yahweh on the mountain and, and saying, I'm here, I'm back, it happened, you did it. 
I've got everyone with me and then some. And just celebrating and having fellowship together at what God has done. Just a few months later. Uh, has anyone here ever climbed uh, like a pretty tall mountain? Any mountain climbers out there? Maybe? Mark? Which one? How tall is it? You, several feet. Like taller than the sledding hill at Phillips Park? <laughs> taller than that? Anyone else who's climbed anything? Yeah? All right. What, what have you guys climbed? Okay. In Virginia. Awesome. Awesome. Mount Washington. Okay. Some big ones there. I've, I've never really climbed anything. I, I've driven to the top of some mountains in the Smoky Mountains. Um, the, the biggest thing I've been climbing lately are the stairs here. Does that, does that feel like a big climb to anybody every week? Yeah, especially with our face coverings on, right? There's something about those steps are extra tall or there's too many of them. Like I have stairs in my house, but they don't feel like that. So Moses runs up to this mountain, which is taller than those stairs. In this passage, he does it three different times. Up, down, up, down, 80-year-old Moses, running back to talk to Yahweh, running back to talk to the people of Israel. Be between now and the end of Exodus, he'll do it seven times. And I'm pretty sure last Sunday I, I did those stairs at least seven times, um, ascending and descending. Moses goes up to the mountain, and God comes down to the mountain. This is repeated over and over again. Verse 11, we see the first one. The Lord on the third day will come down on Mount Sinai so all the people can see him. And then again in verse 20 in this passage that we read, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And we see in this passage a pattern for our life in God, a pattern for our worship of God, that first God comes down to be with us, to be with his people, but that in response we are called up to be with him, because his heart is to be the God who dwells with his people and for us to dwell with him. And so he does all the work of delivering and he does all the work of inviting but we must respond to be with him, to dwell with him who has invited us and who first comes and dwells with us. God comes down and we go up. Would you say that with me? God comes down and we go up. One more time. God comes down and we go up. Let's see this pattern play out. It first begins with God coming down. It, it, it's always the action of God that comes first, the, the word of God that comes first, the movement of God that comes first. And so first, God brings us to himself. Look at how beautifully Yahweh communicates this to Moses and the people of Israel. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Verse 4, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that beautiful? The metaphor of 
bearing you on eagles' wings and bringing you to Yahweh. The Lord has done that and invites all of us to be brought on the wings of his spirit to him. Amen. Later on, the prophet Isaiah, perhaps thinking about this metaphor from the lips of Yahweh, will say, Yahweh never grows faint. So when you do, wait for him, and he will raise you up on eagles' wings. He says, you are my personal treasure, my treasured possession. Yahweh says that to his people. It is absolutely okay to apply that to yourself. <laughs> that you are Yahweh's treasured possession. That's why he delivered you. That's why he brings you on eagle's wings to be with him. Because he treasures you and delights in you. And he goes on to explain that even more. You're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We'll talk about that again in a few weeks. What it means to be a kingdom of priests. There's this personal invitation of Yahweh to come into his presence. Uh, Christopher Wright, who uh, writes and thinks about the Bible, he, he talks about how emphatically personal this is, even more in the original language than how it reads now. He says, Yahweh says, it's my voice, my covenant, my treasured possession. I brought you to me. I, I set you apart for me. It's intensely intimate. This invitation of Yahweh to come and dwell with him. It's personal. It's about you and the Lord and us and the Lord. But there's also this part of the story that's, that's awe-inspiring, that's cosmic. He talks about the smoke in verse 16. Thunders and lightnings and thick smoke on the mountain and a loud trumpet blast so that everyone in the camp trembles. God is intensely intimate, but he's also intensely cosmic. We've got a new icon here for the rest of our journey through Exodus of Sinai. And I, I just love the intensity that it displays, the, the smoke and the lightning. And some people are worshiping and some people are overwhelmed and trembling. I don't know if anyone's ever done any, any pottery. Um, to do that, you have a kiln which is where you bake the pottery, and it's got to get really, really hot in there, but you want the smoke to go out, so at the top of a kiln is a very small circular opening. I spent a summer with Wally in New York, who is a potter, and we were at a kid's camp, so all day the kids would make pottery, and then after the day, Wally would take all the, the soft clay and put it in the kiln and fire it, and the smoke would pour out of the top. If you haven't seen anything like that, then maybe the next best uh, illustration would be when you go to a hibachi restaurant and they cut up the onion and then they stack it all together and then they pour the oil in and it smokes right out. Same thing, that's Mount Sinai. Just imagine an entire mountain doing that. Smoke pouring out of it, fire and thunder. The first time Moses was here, there was a bush that was burning and not consumed. Now the entire mountain is aflame with the glory of God. And it's overwhelming, his cosmic power. God speaks and his voice is thunder. And people are a little overwhelmed by it. And they tremble. And we'll talk about their response 
of fear in a moment and the limits that God puts on that for their own safety. So there's this intimate, personal reality, but there's also this cosmic, awe-inspiring reality. And they're both intertwined in this spiritual and physical manifestation of God. That God, in this overwhelming, awe-inspiring display of fire, smoke, thunder, trumpet, and mountain, is revealing himself personally to his people. is inviting his people into an intimate covenant with him, that he would dwell with them and they with him. Yahweh comes down and he invites his people to come up close. And this is a pattern throughout the Bible, this metaphor of God coming down and us coming up, this metaphor of the mountain of God. Can anyone think of any other mountains in the Bible? Just call them out. What other mountain stories are there in Scripture? Mount Zion. Yeah, Mount Zion is the, the name for Jerusalem as it should be, for the city of God that will be when heaven comes down. We'll talk about Zion in just a minute. Other mountains in Scripture. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets up the living word of God, and he gives a word to us, just as in the next chapter, Moses will speak uh, a word, 10 words of God from the mountain, the 10 commands. So Jesus stands up on the mountain as the living word. Other mountains. Calvin, did you have one? Jesus on the mountain? Are you thinking about when he's transfigured? Yeah. So Jesus stands on the mountain, and his glory is revealed, and Moses shows up there with him just in case we would miss the, the, the comparison. Was there another one? Do you say olives? Mount of Olives, where Jesus goes up so that he can come back down to dwell with us forever. There's a number of other mountains as well. I want to share a couple of my favorites. Isaiah 25 talks about a mountain. Here's what Isaiah says. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. So on the mountain of God, there's a feast. Remember that. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering or the, the shadow or darkness that covers all peoples, all people groups, the veil uh, like a pall of death that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Talking about Mount Zion, a feast of life and healing for all people. And then another great mountain of scripture is the very last scene of the Bible in Revelation. This scene is introduced in chapter 19 when God's voice is like thunder again and that there's a trumpet sounding again, a, a Mount Sinai manifestation. And the voice of thunder is inviting everyone to the marriage feast of the Lamb, another feast on a mountain. 
And then it, the Spirit of God takes the Apostle John up in a couple chapters later and shows him what the feast looks like. Here's what John says. And the Spirit carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain. So instead of on eagle's wings, it's on the Spirit's wings. The Apostle John is lifted up to the high mountain and he sees the holy city of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And what happens in this city at this feast? God says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God, yes, God himself will be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. On the mountain of God, a feast with God who dwells with us, who heals every tear and sadness and brokenness for all people. And the Bible ends with the Lord saying, I'm coming down soon. And then inviting us, come on, come on up. God's action to deliver and to dwell and his invitation to come, to join him. One of the ways I, I love seeing this play out is in how we celebrate communion. And if you have been with us since uh, the pandemic hit, we've brought communion out to us all um, for safety and, and, and different measures like that. And we've slowly been returning to more and more of our embodied practices. And actually next Sunday, we're gonna have um, everyone start coming forward for communion again, which is the way we've traditionally done it. And I just love the picture that that is. The feast is here. God has come to dwell with us. He's ready to begin wiping away those tears and to meet us. And so we get to respond to his saving action and we get to come forward empty-handed to receive the feast. God coming to meet us where we are, us going to him, responding to his invitation. This is the pattern of our life in God. And this is the pattern of our worship together on Sundays. One of the great historic metaphors for gathering together on Sunday to worship is a journey up the mountain of God, a journey to that holy city, a procession or parade into the very presence of God. One of the Psalms says, who will ascend God's holy mountain? as it invites us into worship. And I think about that psalm most weeks when I walk up those stairs. <laughs> we used to meet at Hill Elementary, and I used to joke that as a city on a hill, a city of light, we were meeting in Hill. And that would remind me that we're coming into that city of God, that Mount Zion, together. Well, now we actually get to ascend to gather together in our worship. And that can remind us that we are ascending the mountain of God, 
that God longs to dwell with his people, yes, every day and every moment, but also in a unique way as we gather together on Sunday, that he is here waiting for us, and we get to ascend to him because he's made a way. Our entire worship service is organized around this. The first words that we pray after we hospitably welcome all peoples into the feast and into our worship together, the first liturgical words we pray are, blessed be his kingdom now and forever. The kingdom of heaven, our destination, the mountain of God and the city of God, we name right at the beginning of our, of our service where we are going. We set in the coordinates in Google Maps and we hit start. And like Israel, we then hear the word of God, the word of Jesus, Jesus who makes a way for us to ascend the mountain. And we purify ourselves and we make ourselves ready and we confess our sins so, so we can receive all that God has for us. And then we move toward the very center. Psalm 118 is this beautiful picture of the procession in through the open gates, up the hill of the city, into the temple, and to the very altar. And we make our way on Sunday mornings to the very altar of God, where Jesus made a way for us. And we say, let's join with heaven, the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven, and we join in the wedding feast of the Lamb. We join in the worship of God that happens eternally around his throne. That's what happens when we come to the altar. We say, therefore, let us keep the feast. Celebremos la fiesta. We're joining in the feast on the mountain of heaven. And we join in that feast in a very real way, in time and in space. We go up and out of, in some ways, our daily life, our grief. We don't leave those behind, but we bring them with us and we see tears wiped away. But we enter into a different space, a different place. We enter into the city of God in a very real sacramental way where cosmic becomes personal and spiritual and physical intertwine we join in the worship of heaven, not just metaphorically, but heaven's real and the angels are there worshiping. And when we gather together, we join with them. We enter into the city of God where all things are set right, where you and me are restored and healed. And we enter not in, only into that space and that identity, but into that time the future feast of the Lamb. The future when heaven comes down to earth, we taste that in part. When we come and worship together on Sundays, we are taken up and heaven comes down and the space and time in between collapses and we begin to live in the future. And we become people of heaven. Citizens of the kingdom. And we come back just a little bit more changed into the likeness of Jesus. God dwells with us. We dwell with him. He comes down. We go up. 
the journey doesn't start with our first words of our liturgy. I know that. It starts the night before as we begin to prepare our hearts, as we make any preparations we need to. It begins the morning of as we awake and we say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. This is the day the Lord has made. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The people of God are waiting. The Lord is waiting, and I get to go ascend and dwell with him as he dwells with us. It begins that morning. And for many, it means figuring out logistics. If you have children in your household, it means getting them ready. For many of you, it means coming here early to prepare the house of the Lord. On days like today, it means seeing an unexpectedly a street shut down and trying to find parking, and then three flights up in face coverings. I know it doesn't start with those first words of the liturgy. It starts as we orient our week around coming up the mountain to dwell with God because he's waiting to dwell with us. And we're not just climbing three flights of stairs at Bureau of Gravity on LaSalle Street in Aurora. We are ascending into the presence of God. And we're not just inviting our friends and family to a service or an event. We're inviting them into a heavenly kingdom. We're inviting them into a feast where tears are wiped away. We're inviting them into the presence of God who sees them as a treasured possession. God comes down to dwell with us, and we're invited to come up and dwell with him. Now in Exodus, the people are afraid to do that. In the next chapter over, it says, when the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled, and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you go, you talk. We can't come up close. And there were limits to how close they could even go. But they didn't want to even get that close. They were afraid of the intimacy of the cosmic God. They had trouble trusting that they were his treasured possession. Perhaps they had a fear of intimacy. They'd been hurt by rulers before. They'd been hurt by the gods of Egypt. And we all bring that same fear of coming close to the Lord. Will he judge us? Will we feel ashamed? Will he not be there? We all fear to come close, which is why I love Hebrews 10, uh, 12, which is, I think, my favorite mountain of God passage in the Bible. Because in Hebrews 12, we see how Jesus transforms the mountain of God. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. The writer of Hebrews is talking and, and rewriting Exodus 19, Mount Sinai. The Israel could not endure the order that was given. It was so terrifying that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have not come to Mount Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion, 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the whole company of heaven, angels and archangels, ready for the feast, dressed for the feast that wipes away tears, to the assembly of the firstborn, the citizens of heaven, and to God who makes all the righteous perfect. You've come to the feast where everyone is healed, where you are your true redeemed self. And as you go closer in and closer in, then you come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. No longer is it just Moses who goes up and down and speaks between God and the people. When Jesus is the mediator, we all get to go up the mountain. Hallelujah. We all get to go into the presence of the Lord. We all get to come face to face with Jesus who makes a new covenant through his death and resurrection. There's nothing more cosmic than the cross and resurrection of Jesus where Jesus defeats sin and death and the devil and where his dead body comes back to life and where he ascends to heaven. There's nothing more cosmic than that. But there's nothing more personal than that. Where we say in our liturgy, feed on him in your hearts. By faith and thanksgiving, remember that Christ died for you. He has made a way to feast in his presence, the feast that wipes away every tear. God has come to dwell with us. How's he inviting you to respond to him this morning? Maybe you've never given your life and opened up your heart to the dwelling presence of God. You can do that this morning. Maybe you've kept him only so close. You've been afraid to believe you're his treasured possession, that he's made a way for you to come right into his presence to be with him. Maybe there's a physical way you need to respond this morning. Our prayers will invite us to lift up our hearts. What would it look like for you to lift up your hearts to the Lord this morning in worship? To come up the mountain, to come close to the God who comes close to you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.